0: many of you believe serving God ought to be full of joy? Amen. Amen. This is the greatest life you can live right here. So glad all of you are here. Thanks for coming and sharing Resurrection Day with us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, and being assembled together with them, this referring to Jesus, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Not many days hence. Skipping down to verse 10. and While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. We know this to be angels, which also said, which also said, seems like now there's a repeat, something that was previously said. Ye men of Galilee, Identified them as men of Galilee. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We're still waiting for that day. Two thousand years later. Then returned they unto Jerusalem. From the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey little over 5,000 steps. I want to pull our text this morning from verse 4 where the Lord commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. We want to talk about that this morning. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today, thankful for your people that are gathered together. What a great God you are. We're so thankful, Lord, you're our risen Savior. We feel your presence even as we are here. We're reminded that you inhabit the praises of your people. Once again, we feel your love, your embrace, the joy of knowing you. We ask you now, Lord, that once again, that spirit, that resurrection spirit that raised you out of that grave, out of that tomb, but once again fill your people from the inside out let your word change us and make us new in jesus name everybody said amen, amen. you may be seated thank you for standing jesus uh, did not spend many days in his early ministry in jerusalem jesus spent much of his his ministry in galilee the northern area of what we know of today as the holy land that area that's so beautiful that's so well watered and green the people up there those galileans they were his people blunt salt of the earth hard working galileans were not big fans of the elite sophisticated uptown folks in jerusalem and the elite aristocrats of jerusalem returned the scorn they didn't think much of the galileans They sort of looked down their nose at them. They weren't real impressed with those people from Galilee, uncouth and uncomfortable in the religious circles of Jerusalem. And a son of Nazareth, Jesus, he came from Nazareth, that that little place in the southwest corner of the Galilee region. Nothing really good ever came out of Nazareth. But Jesus made Capernaum, a city nearby that was just there on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, he made Capernaum his his base of operation. And just as he had chosen Bethlehem, a humble place, as the entrance of Jesus into the world, so the master craftsman chose to build his new movement from the raw and rugged people of galilee this is not where you would typically recruit if you were building a movement that would change and shake the world but christ often draws his disciples from out of the way places and aren't you thankful that he does aren't you glad that he responds to those that are on the wayside such as you and me When you cry out, God doesn't judge you based on your past. All you got to do is be hungry. All you got to do is cry out. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter what your socioeconomic level is. You can be from Galilee. You can be on the wayside. And God will reach for you. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Galileans, they were ready for messages about God's coming kingdom, especially at a time when Israel keenly felt the burden of being a subject people, but hope for a better future was shadowed by a palpable sense of despair that hung over the Jews, the nation of Israel. There was a cynicism there that was hardened by crushing Roman rule and failed revolution. In their lifetime, Galileans had been massacred in an ugly confrontation with the governor of Judea, a man who was from Rome, who despised being in this dusty desert outpost called Palestine. We would come to know his name as Pontius Pilate. But there abiding in that Galilee area was a man by the name of Peter, he lived in Capernaum, he was a commercial fisherman, plying his trade in the Genezaret Lake, but he was also the product of culture, a culture that was a culture of revolution. He was fiercely loyal, but he was also primed and ready for a fight. He knew his business, he knew fish, he knew that lake that we call the Sea of Galilee, He knew every inch of that body of water that is 13 miles long from north to south and 141 feet deep at its deepest spot. He knew the currents where the schools of fish gathered, where the tilapia fish beds were, the right time of the night and the right time of the day to fish, when to throw the nets, when to draw it in. He had made it his business to know how to catch fish. His livelihood depended on it and he was a fighter. You can't be a successful fisherman and not be a fighter can't be afraid of a fight if you want to catch fish jesus sought him out through his brother andrew he called him told him to leave those nets behind and i'll make you fishers of men he began to follow jesus and following jesus took peter across Galilee Galilee and Judea to places he would never imagine, lepers healed and lame walking, the blind receiving sight. He saw Jesus raise a servant girl from the dead Peter was there twice when the Lord of creation scooped up a little boy's lunch and stretched it to feed thousands of hungry, desperate people with food left over And then there was that time when Jesus awoke from a nap in the bottom of the boat and saved the disciples from shipwreck by speaking to the water and turning a choppy sea smooth as glass in an instant. Peter had been on that sea a thousand times. He he never saw anything like that. He was a man of Galilee. A man with rugged hands, he was comfortable in Galilee, he was comfortable with the, the smell of fish and the feel of those ropes, those frayed ropes in his hands as he would wait for the perfect moment to throw the net. So he was not really excited to hear Jesus said it was now time to go to Jerusalem. Why go to Jerusalem? If he didn't say it out loud, you can hear him thinking it in the questions that he asked the Lord as they journeyed down to the south. What's the purpose? What's the point? Why go there when everything we need is here in Galilee? What's in it for us? He may not have agreed with the decision, but he went. But in his heart of hearts, he knows Jerusalem's going to be problems. He's on edge. He's unsettled. He's restless. The rebuke from Jesus at the Last Supper when he tried to confess his allegiance to Jesus. Jesus told him he wasn't as solid as he thought he was. The sleepless night in the garden when the temple guard shows up at night with the torches and spears. Peter just reacts without even thinking. He's a fighter. He's uncomfortable with Jerusalem. He's uncomfortable with these people. He reaches for his sword and he just swings, swings for the closest one. He cuts the ear off of one of the high priest's servants. He draws back and he's ready to go again when Jesus rebukes him again for the third time that night. He rebukes Peter and puts the man's ear back on his head and says to Peter, don't you know I could call legions of angels? Peter doesn't know how to fight this kind of a fight. This is a fight where you lay down your life. It's a fight where you don't resist. It's a, a fight where you allow the corrupt politicians of Jerusalem to take your master. He knew this Jerusalem business was a mistake. He just knew it. He was ready to go back home. But he can't. Not yet. He's too loyal. He can't leave his master, his friend, Jesus at his darkest hour so he stays on the edge close he's there physically but in his heart he's already back in Galilee but in his mind he rehearses maybe Jesus will do something and he thinks about all the times that it appeared that Jesus was in a tough spot and somehow magically he would be delivered maybe he'll do it again deliver himself I gotta stay. He had never seen Jesus at a place where he he couldn't somehow say something or do something that would change the landscape. So he waits and he watches. But it is obvious that Jerusalem is not his home. And it's too obvious that he is a man of Galilee. He can't even hide around the fire as he waits for Jesus to emerge from the house of Caiaphas, the chief priest, where they had taken Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's there just warming around the fire and sort of staying on the edge and watching and waiting, somebody comes up to him and says, "You're that, you're from Galilee. You're, we're one of the followers of Jesus. No, I don't know what you're talking." I don't know why Peter said this. Maybe he was just stunned by all the uncertainty, the fear. Maybe he didn't want him to know that he was from Galilee. He wanted to kind of keep that identity undercover. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was uncertainty. But it's also possible that it revealed a crisis of faith that Peter was having because he moved around to a different location, and yet there was the same calling out, you're one of the followers of Jesus. On the third denial, he's so frustrated and disappointed in himself that he's cursing and swearing as he denies the Lord the third time. Not something that the disciples of Jesus normally did. Jesus said later that Satan was trying to take Peter about this time, but the Lord prayed for him. Aren't you glad that somebody prayed for you? When you were confused and uncertain. Oh, aren't you glad you had an aunt or a grandparent or a mom or somebody, a friend that invited you? We have found the Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. You weren't sure why you were going the way you were going. You just knew that you were frustrated. And you hung out close but not exactly where the lord wanted you to be but somebody prayed somebody interceded for you and for me and somebody did for peter so he hung in there although he's now dealing with the guilt and the remorse but still there was something that kept him close i've taught bible studies to Men and women, I've heard their testimonies and many times you'll hear people say I was flipping through the channels and I stopped and hesitated as I watched someone deliver a sermon and I hadn't been... a church for years, not since I was in Sunday school, but something made me stay there. You don't even realize it sometimes, but there's something deep down inside of every one of us that longs to be back in relationship with Jesus. We have been here. We have seen him. We know the power of God. We know that Jesus loves us. But time and space and the cares of life can sometimes pull us and draw us away so that we're on the peripheral edges of it all. There's something that keeps us just close enough. Who I'm thankful for that. That invisible hand that reaches out to us uh, lets us know it's not over yet. Though you may be facing trial and turmoil, it's not over with yet. Amen. Close enough to see the crucifixion. Yes, Peter stayed there from a distance. Close enough to hear Mary Magdalene tell the others that Jesus is not in the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. Oh, and by the way, Peter, the angel that told us he's risen named you and wanted to make sure that you knew he is risen. Peter just nods in the corner of the room But it was enough for Peter to run to the tomb with John. John tells the story and John is very clever in how he's always writing about the shortcomings of Peter. He must have been in competition with him because he says that we ran to the tomb, but... I was the first to arrive on the scene. John often referred to himself as the one that the Lord loved. If John didn't know anything else, he knew that Jesus loved him. But maybe he outran Peter because Peter was having to try to determine whether or not Jesus would receive him. The memory of his mistakes caused him to hesitate to not have that rhythm in his step like he normally did when he could charge like a bull out ahead of everybody else with his impetuous nature and his fearless character driving him to the front of the line. But somehow this time, he lets little old John beat him because he's hesitant, uncertain. Loves me, he loves me not. But when they got to the tomb... John does say, Peter went in first. (laughs) He may have got there late, but he was the first to go into the empty tomb. Come on, my friend, you may have got in this late. But it doesn't mean that you got to live your life full of guilt and pain and remorse. You
1: may have arrived here later than everybody else but you can be the first in the altar. You can be the first in the presence of God. You can be the first with your hands lifted up. You can be the first to feel his
0: power and his presence. Mm. So many things could have kept him away, but Peter wouldn't stay away. But they didn't see Jesus. All they found was an empty tomb and grave clothes. And when Luke records the story, he says that Peter went away wondering. Jesus is not there, but where is he? Later on, Luke records that there were two men, not necessarily the inner 11 at this point, because Judas, of course, had betrayed the Lord and hung himself. So there were these 11 disciples that were his inner core of followers, but there were other followers and other believers And there were two men that were now on the road to Emmaus, which is a city not far from Jerusalem, but a little bit to journey by foot. And they had been there. They had seen the crucifixion. They'd been down in in Jerusalem. And now they were walking back, and they were talking about these things. And then they just saw a man just appeared, didn't know who he was. And they start to talk to him about the events that have happened in Jerusalem. The Lord plays along like he doesn't know what's happening. And they say to him something that's interesting. Well, you must be a stranger. Stranger. Jerusalem if you don't know about what happened three days ago that means everybody in Jerusalem knew about the crucifixion knew about the trial of Jesus oh yeah this was not done in a corner all of Jerusalem the followers of Jesus and the accusers of Jesus all knew what had taken place And when the Lord finally reveals himself to them as they invited him to come in and to eat supper with them and they find out the Lord has risen, they've seen him, he reveals himself to them and who he was, and then they say, well, we've got to go back to Jerusalem and we've got to find his disciples. And so they did, and the Bible says they found the 11 and they go in and they tell the 11, they say, we have seen him, he is risen. But they don't stop there, they let the cat out of the bag and declare that the Lord has also appeared to Simon Peter. The only way they could have known this is for the Lord to have told them. I can see all the disciples in the room turning over, picking their heads all the way to the other side to look at Peter. And as they start to question him about this personal appearance of Jesus to Peter, The Lord appears to them just in the nick of time and saves Peter from having to explain it. You say, well, maybe they got the record wrong on that one single point. Maybe the two men of the, well because Paul records it later in first Corinthians 15, as he lists the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection in verse four, it says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. That's Peter. And yet there's no record in the gospels, in the epistles, in the book of Acts, there's no record of the narrative of this private appearance and conversation with Peter. Peter doesn't reveal it. The others don't write about it. So it must be that Peter did not tell them what was said. But knowing the nature of God, it seems logical today as we examine this story, that the Lord appeared unto Peter personally to affirm to Peter that he was alive, that his faith was not in vain, and that the Lord had forgiven him. What an awesome God we serve that the God of glory would seek out one individual. It wasn't just doubting Thomas uh, that he made a personal reference to and said, feel my hands. Uh, He was also reaching for Peter and letting him know that even though you messed up, I still love you. What an awesome God that he would appear first to Mary Magdalene of who the Lord had cast out seven devils. And then to Peter who had denied the Lord in his darkest hour. You see, my friend, during his ministry, the Lord reached for everyone. He answered their questions. He healed their sick. He raised their dead, ones that he knew that were friends like Lazarus and others that he just had compassion on, like the widow's lady's only son in the city of Nan. He, he was there for everybody, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, the rulers that tried to trap him with the Old Testament, trap him in his speech, put him in a place where no matter how he answered, it would be the wrong thing, and, and the Lord did did not remove himself from that environment. He was there with the adoring fans. He was there with the thousands that sat to hear his teaching. But he was always there even with the lawyers and the rulers. As they questioned him and tried to trap him. Whether it was in Galilee, Judea. Whether it was in Capernaum or even in Jerusalem. Everybody was available to meet and to hear and to see Jesus. And in Jerusalem, everyone knew about the crucifixion. Everybody knew. They knew that Jesus had been hung on a cross with thieves. Everybody knew. Everybody saw. Everybody watched. It was not done in a corner. But ladies and gentlemen, after he was resurrected, he only appeared to believers. Paul says in verse six, after that he was seen of about 500 brethren, brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. That means some have died, but as he's writing this a few years later, he says, hey, some of those 500 are still
2: alive.
0: After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Luke says in Acts 1, he showed himself alive after his passion. That's the crucifixion by many infallible, irrefutable proofs over a period of 40 days. But every time he appears, he appears to his believer. It paid to be a believer. The Roman eye never saw him one time after the resurrection. But when the believers got together and believed, Jesus appeared. Ladies and gentlemen, this has not stopped 2,000 years later. Every time someone is healed, one more time, God
1: has appeared to his people. Every time people believe that God can save them from their sins and they begin to worship God, one more time, he appears to his believers. Every time somebody is baptized in the name of Jesus, one more time, he's appeared to his followers. Every time somebody lifts their hands and says, Lord, I worship you, fill me with the Holy Ghost. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the spirit gives them utterance. One more time, he's
0: appeared to his believers. No, you won't find him where the scoffers and the naysayers are gathered. You won't find him in the halls of government where his name is being removed. But you let believers get together and begin to call his name. And he appears. Set it as a pattern over those 40 days. Matthew records that the Jewish rulers and the elders know they have a problem with a missing body. So they paid the Roman soldiers a great sum of money to tell everyone in Jerusalem that disciples came and stole the body because these roman soldiers were the ones on watch and had power in this city of jerusalem in this judean desert it goes all around jerusalem and often the gospels say that the disciples are huddled together and fearful why were they fearful jesus had resurrected jesus had to appear to them numbers of times how could they be fearful could it be that there was this Nasty rumor going around that the disciples had stole the body and now they were perhaps being hunted with a a bounty on their head. The Bible doesn't go into detail to explain the narrative. John just tells the story and says that they returned to their home. Their home is in Galilee. Jesus had told them that he would meet them in Galilee. They get back to Galilee as soon as possible, perhaps not all of them, but at least Peter and six others. They go back to fishing at least eight days later on that sea of Tiberias that they loved so much in that countryside that they were so comfortable with. And John records that they fished all night without any success once again, poking the bear. And when they see what appears to be a stranger on the shore, only a half hour walk from Capernaum, He speaks to them to that voice that they know so well. Cast your nets on the other side. Peter can't wait. He just jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. It's Jesus, he's here. He came back to Galilee. John is careful to record that he's the one who identified Jesus first that Peter jumped out and went to shore and the rest of them struggled with the net. But it does say that Peter, after greeting the Lord, no doubt hugging his neck, he goes back and helps them drag in all the fish. And John records that the nets are full of 153 fish from a single cast, though they had fished all night. Professional fishermen, fished all night, caught nothing. But once their master said, throw your nets on the other side. We've been throwing our nets on both sides all night. There's only two sides to this boat. Sometimes you got to just obey, even when it doesn't make sense. So as we're gathered in this little area that they believe is where Jesus fixed this little breakfast of fish on the shore, Our Jewish guide says, do you know how many fish they caught? My father, the Bible scholar, says, yeah, 153. The only time it's told is by John. Somebody counted the fish. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 153, but the Bible doesn't record anything by accident. So this Jewish guide asked us, he said, you know that in the Hebrew language there's coordination between numbers and letters and words. Do you know what 153 means in the Hebrew? We didn't know. Bishop didn't know. So we waited for the answer from a Jewish guide who was a soldier in the Jewish army who was not a Christian. But what he was about to say, no one could deny. 153 in Hebrew means, I am God. (laughs) Even in the number of fish that they caught, Jesus was telling those men of Galilee, you've not wasted your life, believe it in me. You may be uncertain right now about what the future holds, but I've come to remind
1: you that I am God, not just the Son of God, I am God. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. You've not wasted your life. I've come to tell somebody today, you've not wasted the years that you followed the word of God and the teaching of Jesus.
0: Though you may face trouble and turmoil. So they warmed themselves by the little fire that Jesus had made and they eat some of the fish and the Lord says to Peter, do you love me more than These. These. These fishes, these friends, these hills, you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. The Lord says, feed my lambs. And they all ponder that for a moment. Then he asked Peter again, same question. Lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. They think about that for another second. The third time, the Lord repeats the same question. Lovest thou me more than these? He asked it three times. Some people said because he wanted to neutralize the three denials. Possible. May have been that he was just trying to establish it because something important was happening right here. By the third time, Peter is frustrated. He doesn't have a lot of patience.
1: Lord, you know all things, you know that I do.
0: Feed my sheep. Then it all sinks in. They remember what he had told them. It's recorded in Matthew 10. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, in the 15th chapter, as this woman of Cana comes, and, and she's begging that the Lord would come and heal and, and deliver her daughter. And he says, I, I'm come, come for the lost sheep. I, I'm here for the lost sheep. Of the house of Israel. Eventually her hunger caused the Lord to turn from his mission. And when she said the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, she was saying, I I may not be one that you came, but I am hungry. The Lord said, go, your daughter's made whole. And now Peter and the others, they're on the seashore with the little fire and the Morning sun coming up and the fish in their stomach. And the Lord saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It all comes back to them. You see, oftentimes in scripture, Galilee was referred to as the Galilee of the Gentiles. It comes crashing back to Peter. We got to go back to Jerusalem, boys. We got to go back to Jerusalem. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. Oh, I want to tell somebody today,
1: this is not the end, this is just the beginning.
0: You say, but I'm confused, I'm uncertain, there's things going on, I don't understand it all. But Jesus is still the almighty God. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And though it may be an uncertain time, we serve a certain savior. His name is Jesus and this is not the end.
1: It's time to go back to Jerusalem. It's time to go back to the foot of the cross. It's time to go back to the empty tomb and to be reminded he's bigger than my sickness. He's bigger than my sin. He's greater than my biggest problem. His name is Jesus and at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess.
2: Mm.
0: Now, 40 days after the resurrection, they're gathered together on the Mount of Olives just there on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They're identified, ye men of Galilee, as we read in our text. Ye men of Galilee, I know that's your identity. I know that's your comfort zone. Ye men of Galilee, I know that's where you're from, but that's not where you're going. I know that's your past, but that's not your future. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Wait until you receive the promise of the Father. I've come to tell somebody the identity that the world has tried to put on you is not the identity that Jesus has put
1: on you. you got a new identity. you got a new way of walking. you got a new way of talking. You're not the same. Your past does not have to dictate your future. You don't have to go back from where you came this morning. There is a new way. There is higher ground.
0: Jerusalem, the lost sheep. They didn't see all the miracles that Galilee saw, but they saw the veil ripped in two in the temple when Jesus was crucified, giving them access to the Holy of Holies, to the throne room of grace. They saw their traditions being ripped, their philosophical, religious upbringing that somehow convinced them that they were better than everybody else. Was ripped in two when Jesus hung on the cross
1: and finally said, It is finished. They saw the sky turn black and the rock split in two, and they saw the empty tomb, and they were getting ready to see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I say to this great men of Judea, the men of Israel, the men of Galilee, don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave the mission. It's the Holy Ghost that will set you free. It's
0: the Holy Ghost that's going to be poured out. They went to an upper room in Jerusalem, just over the tomb of David, which I don't think is by coincidence either. They begin to pray hundred. 20 believers, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the disciples, the followers, the believers. And when the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.1 tells us, was fully come 50 days after the Passover, 50 days since the crucifixion, representing the jubilee, that when that day of Pentecost was fully come, They had a season when they celebrated kind of like we would the 4th of July. It's all week, but then there's the 4th of July when the day of Pentecost was fully come. We're on the day of deliverance. We're on the day of Jubilee. They were all in one accord in one place. They didn't start out in one accord. They had a vote to start off with. you never in one accord when you got a vote in front of you. Some people were and five. They had to fill this empty void of making sure they had 12 and filling the spot of Judas. I don't know if they were in the will of the Lord doing all of that. It appears that God chose Paul to fill that spot. Sometimes we think we got to check all the boxes because God is delaying. Sometimes you got to just wait on the Lord. He didn't say go back to Jerusalem and have a business meeting. He said go back to Jerusalem
1: and tarry until you receive the promise of the Father.
0: We live in a land that's so fascinated, so caught up, and some that are even disturbed about the vote.
1: Who cares about the vote? You need the promise of the Father. That's what will set you free. It's not who's in the White House, it's who's on the throne of glory. But after a few days of praying everybody got in one accord and suddenly when you get together something's gonna happen and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house every corner of the house from the north to the south from the east to the west oh God fill this house with your glory
0: And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, lost sheep. Devout men out of every nation under heaven, lost sheep. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came. Flocks of lost sheep they came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another behold are not all these which speak Galileans these people are from Galilee yes we are but we are right where we are supposed to be Some of you got friends that still can't believe you in church. Aren't you a Galilean?
1: Aren't you that party animal that I used to know? You were a drug addict. You were an alcoholic. You were men and women of sin. You were men and women of the night. Weren't you Galileans? I'm confused. I don't understand it all. Yes, you were right. We were but God called us to Jerusalem. We found something that's beyond an empty tomb. We've got the same resurrected spirit. We're not just playing church. We're not just going through the motion. This is not some dry dead ritual of religion. This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel.
0: We don't understand it. Yeah. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Galatians, Mesthetanians, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Phamphylia. Yeah. Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene. Strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. We do hear them, the Galileans, speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. <laughs> They must be drunk. Them crazy people down at East Wind. That's an emotional bunch down there. <laughs> but Peter's standing up with the 11. Here we go again. Peter the first to step up and say something. But he's different now, he got the Holy Ghost. He's standing up with the 11. They're a unified front. Here we go. He lifted up in his voice and he said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. It was only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall
1: come to pass in the last days, saith." God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants. That's right, Jesus came for the servants and on my handmaidens and on the Galileans.
0: I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy oh yeah on the alcoholics on the drug addicts on the pornographers on the people that didn't know how to get past the day
1: without some addiction of the flesh that's the ones he died for come on it's time to go to jerusalem it's time for an upper room experience Mm. Jesus Mm.
0: Jesus and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke, Peter continues. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Yeah, I remember that. And the moon and the blood. Don't remember seeing that. Before the great and notable day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever. Somebody shout out Whosoever. whosoever!
1: That's me. That's you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you gotta do is call on the name of the Lord. Hey Jerusalem, I want you to hear it from this man of Galilee. Whosoever will call on the Lord shall be saved.
0: Peter says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Can I echo for just a moment the words of Peter, ye men and women of Palm Bay, hear these words. Ye men and women of Melbourne, hear these words. Ye men and women of Bavard County and the state of Florida, Hear these words, ye men and
1: women of multiple mistakes. Hear these words, ye men and women of little faith. Hear these words, ye men and women of religious upbringing.
0: Hear these words. For this promise is for you and your children and for them that are far off. Come on, that was you and me. We were afar off. We were not religious blue bloods. We were all far off, <laughs> even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Woo! I'm glad that he's still calling from the four corners of the earth. And that day, the Bible says 3,000 in Jerusalem are added to the church in Jerusalem. Yes, the crowds of 5,000 or more listen to Jesus teach. In the Galilee region. But after they were fed lunch, they disappeared. Even at one point, the Lord says, Are you going to leave like everybody else? And the disciples said, To whom can we go? You have the words of life. But in Jerusalem, under the power of the Holy Ghost, 3,000 are added to the church that day. History tells us that the church in Jerusalem, even under persecution, grows to more than 25,000 people in just a few short years. There's no record Peter and James and John, the disciples, ever left and went back to Galilee. I've read it a thousand times, but it just never jumped down at me. It's not really the focal point of the verse. But there's three little words at the end of Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 that tells the entire story. Just three little words. Saul was consenting unto his death. This is the point of the verse. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You guys know there's persecution,
1: but our master told us not to depart from Jerusalem. You know you're facing trouble now, you're facing sickness now but the Lord told us he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So I'm hanging on to the promise of the Father. You know you got cancer now, but I'm not leaving Jerusalem. You know you got problems now in your marriage, but I'm not leaving Jerusalem. You know you got problems with your children, but I'm not leaving Jerusalem.
0: he didn't leave not yet there's record that Peter and some visited in other places he's up in Antioch he's down at Caesarea by the seaside witnessing to Cornelius goes and visits his buddy Simon the Tanner in Joppa Paul says he's up there in Antioch but once you receive the Holy Ghost where else you gonna go men of Galilee, I invite you to tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power. Believers that have not yet received the resurrected spirit of Christ, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I invite you on this resurrection morning to go to Jerusalem. It's not that far away. It's just a Sabbath day's journey. It's a place that you can reach in a single service. Go to Jerusalem. Get to the upper room. Go to Pentecost. Be filled with power from on high. I promise you, you'll never want to leave. How come you Pentecostals want to have church all the time? Even in the lockdown, you can't hardly wait to get your doors open. We
1: can't seem to leave Jerusalem. We
0: can't let go of the horns of the altar. Why? Because once you experience the Holy Ghost, you think we can go back to some dry, dead, religious performance? We've been to Jerusalem. I said, we've been to Jerusalem. Don't delay you got to get to the upper room. You know it's real. You know he died for your sins.
1: You know that you can reach him. You just got to get to Jerusalem. You got to get under the spell where the glory comes out. You got to get to the upper
0: room. This isn't about just Jesus being resurrected. This is about if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken. Your mortal body. How? By his spirit that dwelleth in you. Would you stand to your feet? So close. So close. Go to Jerusalem. Would you bow your head? Lord, we stand in awe one more time. Your power and your glory. spirit of God that we feel in this room resurrection not only of you but of every man woman boy and girl as we stand before you one more time in this house that bears your name amongst the people that worship your name that declare your glory into the atmosphere we come here one more time we assemble in one mind and one accord with one purpose to declare your glory and your greatness and I ask you God that one more time you would feel this place with your power feel it with your glory that every man and woman from the top of their head to the sole of their feet be saturated with your presence I wonder right now as every head is bound every eye is closed I wonder if you'd make that short trip to Jerusalem to this altar to the foot of the cross say Lord here I come on this Easter morning when we celebrate a risen Savior I believe there's something that you want to do in my heart if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues I'm telling you, right now, today, there's a God who will fill your heart and your life with his spirit, and you'll never be the same. Come on, don't disqualify yourself. He died for your sins. I said he died for your sins. You say, but old pastor, you don't know everything I've done. It can't be worse than what Peter did can't be worse than where Mag- Mary Magdalene was, it can't be worse. There's bigger sins than yours that are beneath the blood. All I need to do right now is just ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins. So if you're standing in your seat or you're here at the altar, I wonder all over this building for just a moment, would you lift your hands and your voice? and Would you ask God to forgive you of every sin? Lord, forgive me right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Forgive me of every sin, things that I've said, attitudes that I've had, sins of my mind, my heart, my hands, sins of my feet, Lord. I, I'm asking you to cleanse me. Wash me as white as snow, Lord. Forgive me, O oh Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to run away any longer. I'm here, God. I'm here to stay. I won't depart. Go back to my comfort zone. I feel you calling me, reaching for me, drawing me, oh God. And though I've known it all my life, God, I'm making a decision right now. And I'm saying, Lord, I won't turn back. Heal my heart, heal my mind. Heal my spirit, heal my soul. Forgive me of every sin. Now if you've asked God to forgive you of your sin, the Bible said He's heard your prayer. And He's forgiven you of every sin. The hardest part oftentimes is forgiving ourselves. But if you believe that the Lord has heard your prayer and has forgiven you, would you just slip a hand up toward heaven? that's so awesome hands going up all over the building he's forgiven you that means all that stuff that clogged up this temple of the presence of God is gone and now you're ready to receive the presence of God here's how you receive the Holy Ghost the first thing you have to do is believe the second thing you have to do is begin to worship him If you're here at this altar and you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, that's the upper room experience. That's the Jerusalem that we're going to. As you begin to lift your hands and lift your voice, lift your head in a posture of expectation and anticipation. Lift up your hands, close your eyes, don't be distracted by anything around you. And just begin to say how great the Lord is. You are great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Begin to worship Him. As you begin to worship Him, you're going to feel the presence of God come all over you. Don't worry what it sounds like. Just speak out whatever's in your spirit. You can't say the wrong thing in the midst of praise. Come on, begin to magnify the Lord others may come and pray with you come on we're gathered together in the upper room one more time to declare the glory of God come on he wants to give you that resurrection spirit
1: I receive the Holy Ghost by the authority of the word of God by the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the power of the name of Jesus be filled with the Holy Ghost
2: step out
1: of the That's it, shout unto the Lord now with the voice of triumph. I receive it in the it's name of Jesus.
2: Run into wide open spaces. Run into wide open spaces. Graces waiting for you. Dance like the way has been lifted. Graces